Vai tava problēma ir tā, ka es sievieta? Mēs to atrisināsim. Mīrās dāmas un cilvēki. Es iet sveicināt podkāstā starp mums, meitenēm runājot ar džēmu Sudrabu. I'm going to do a small intro. Yeah, because usually usually this podcast is in Latvian and we've done only one actually which was also in English which was with Veronica who is uh, living in uh, an eco village actually here in, in in Latvia with her family and she was ori- originally Polish and although she speaks perfect Latvian we still did it in English and and we decided that when you know if we are coming to Comet and there are so many inspiring and interesting women women coming uh, to the festival we should kind of try and, and do a podcast a few podcast series in uh, in english um so i hope it's going to work so we have this recording on uh, saturday it's early morning people are having breakfast and and waiting for their coffees and i am together with dani demilia hi dani hello um and um well, we haven't really prepared anything what we're going to talk about. And uh, but what I really enjoyed is uh, so I, tr- I I googled you and uh, and do you know what's like the fourth picture that comes up when when you're being googled? No, no that that's the first one where you look intimidating and but scary. Th- but that's not me. It's not you? No, there's if you google uh, is this is this yeah. working? Yeah. If you google Daniela Demilia, then another person in this world that has the same name but is a physioculturist so she her profession is to have a lot of muscles and to pose as a top model so she comes up so a lot of people do that and google and they think it's like a performance art piece that I'm doing but really it's like the whole life of somebody else and I think it must be really hard for her when they google her and they find me because I don't think she really likes what I do <laughs> so I don't know if you found her or yeah. No, 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 it wasn't, uh, it was actually you, uh, but, uh, and then there's this uh, video of you doing a performance in, uh, um, so you kind of have a big arrow in your hands and then you're uh, attacking a car. Ah, yes, yeah, Cervera <laughs> Biennale in, in Portugal. Yes, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, well, anyways, so you see, it works. Uh, Googling you works, and wow. and I must say, I must also say that the on the on the first line of Google results, there's also uh, a picture of a vagina, just a random vagina, and I thought, okay, that's very interesting. Uh, yeah, that'll be mine. That is your, yours, yeah. yes. Yeah. It's not not a good start for a conversation. Don't know if that's where you wanted to start from. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that you will say, oh, I didn't, oh, this is so weird. Yeah, no. <laughs> it's I just a random one. Okay. Um, yeah. So um, when I'm reading your bio, it says that you are a trans-feminist artist. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us what is a trans-feminist? Sure. Actually, it'd be interesting to start from this place because also when you're saying I'm inviting like women artists, I don't entirely identify as, as a woman. Um, I think I would say more that I identify as a non-binary person, but I also identify as a woman because of all of the histories and struggles and commonalities that I also share with, with women. But in terms of gender, I really have a hard time with the gender binary. And I think trans feminist does a, a, a lot uh, around that for me because it really amplifies the subject of feminism beyond the woman category. So not only it breaks that binary between men, women, including trans folks, but on all lengths of the spectrum, also trans people that don't necessarily want to transition from one side to the other, but are in some uh, range of the scale uh, with whatever physical appearance that may take. Um, but also trans feminism attempts to go beyond this type of binary and also recall a lot of the intersectional struggles that um, basically black women in the US have already been talking about for so long and and then not only in the US but also in Latin America and and African countries and uh, with diasporas all over the world but that hegemonic 
feminism, Euro-centered or also US-centered has left aside and it's been a lot about white uh, women. Uh, so trans feminism, I feel, is doing those two movements at the same time. Well, on the one hand, including trans uh, folks uh, in all of the range of that spectrum, and on the other hand, also just recovering back in that intersectionality, also strongly questions of uh, race, class, uh, um, ability. Diversidad funcional would be like a better way like um, functional diversity, diversity yeah um, yeah and and really strongly politicizing the various crossings that are in the subjects that need and do feminism you mm -hmm. know yeah so when we we often hear that you know we yeah. shouldn't assume gender for example yeah mm -hmm. and and uh, one of latvian artists madre saberova she uh, recently did a small cartoon where she was kind of well she was t telling in this cartoon uh, of all the situations where someone is asking her like are you a lesbian are you a boy or a girl and uh, she was expressing her kind of anger that it really makes her angry that someone is just pushing her into one of the boxes um, but the, how would you want this? So I, I suggested, you know, that uh, I'm inviting women mm -hmm. to the podcast, and you you could become angry with that, or you mm -hmm. were just annoyed, or how did you feel? Um, yes, I could, I could probably become angry if I had other things crossing in my body, in my history, in my subjectivity. But from the place that I have. Uh, grown to be the person that I am now, I also can feel honored by an invitation like that and also find it a place in which we can then open up the subject and um, take it really as an invitation for conversation as long as there is that willingness to also have the, the conversation once we're in, in engagement. Um, I think there's a lot that categories and identity does to help us situate and place ourselves in in the different modes that relationship happen but a lot of the time if they are the sole guiding uh, forces and, and modes through which we engage uh, they stop a lot of things from being possible you know and so that would be the case for me with the category gender-wise, but it would also be in terms of like race, class, and other identity intersections that, or, or even profession, you know, that crosses and that are very important to talk to each other, acknowledging those, but they cannot, to me, forefront. Look at that. Thank you. <laughs> Just got some coffee. <laughs> um, they cannot uh, f uh, foreclose uh, the possibility of relationship happening. So I think my tendency usually is, unless it's, you know, unless it's a very clearly sexist positioning or homophobic or which mm. completely is not what we're talking about here, you know? So I think uh, there's, there's a need for me to open up spaces of conversation, and, 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 and this is one of them. So I thank you actually very much for, for this space that you opened. But do, do, you see, do, you see gender, uh, do you see gender as something that you perform? Uh, yes. Yeah. Um, but this performance is happening in multiple spheres. So uh, I do not perform gender on my own. I perform it within a set of relationships that make this performance uh, possible or also be interpreted in certain ways. Because, of course, depending on what context you're in, what cultures you're in, to perform uh, femininity or masculinity can be slightly different. So that that expression or that need that one may feel um, in, in coming from within, 
I think has a lot to do with the mirrors that we're getting externally and, and how they're being validated or not, or how they're being rejected or not. So to, to me, in my body right now, I know that I perform gender all the time and turn up the volume of masculinity or femininity depending on uh, what safety requirements I feel I need or what troubling or stirring the waters I feel like I would like to do or also just how I feel that morning and what context I'm in and, and how certain uh, modes of walking or dressing or sitting may, you know, may, may affect my relationships. I wouldn't say it's this rational, you know, I'm not like, let me now cross my legs like this because in this podcast they will understand this or let me, you know, like, it's not that rational, you know, but I know that my body is doing those micro decisions and I know for sure if I'm walking alone at night and I'm feeling a little insecure because my body also has the experiences of being read as a woman and being attacked uh, at night, uh, you know, the sadly very common stories. Um, then I know that my body in that circumstances acts more masculine. You know, I put my hoodie on, spread my legs wide, occupy more space, and walk home feeling more safe, you know? And that's something my body does automatically. But it's a performance of gender for safety, mm. you know? And uh, when we were recording the, the previous conversation with Lian and we were talking about uh, kind of also the performance at aspect of, of femininity the, and, and how, uh, for example, I feel like a bad feminist when I'm using a lot of makeup because usually it's like part, part of a patriarchal bargain. You know, mm. when I look cute and nice and beautiful, then, you know, I'm getting something from the society back, you know, attention, maybe, you know, um, you know respect uh, that I fit in. So fitting in is an important part of kind of the way how I live through my life. Uh, and, and I have a lot of respect towards those people who kind of choose not to fit in. Because it's not, I think it's not a, an easy choice. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and sometimes, uh, you know, I've heard these discussions about, um, so my friends are asking, uh, why are there, you know, butch lesbians, for example, why do they, if they choose not to look like women, why do they not become men? And I'm trying to explain that it's just that they don't see it as something that is necessary to look like a, you know, a woman, right? Mm -hmm. So they're kind of performing their life in a different way, but it's, I think, really hard for people who have never thought about it. Um, it's not easy to understand. Yeah, well, there's a lot of different things in what you said. Um, you know, in the beginning when you were saying about your own experience of, of wearing makeup and feeling like a bad feminist and so on, and then you were speaking about the respect you have for people that don't fit in, I would say I have a lot of respect for feminists that wear makeup and that claim their femme identity. Because in a way, it's also the experience of not fitting in to some requirements of feminism, you know? and and like I, I really feel in, in solidarity with a, a lot of femme friends and companions of, of, of feminist struggle that really have a hard time being able to express their femininity and just their mode of being happy with themselves and their physical appearance and the way they move through space without being judged as somebody that hasn't uh, worked on dismantling the way patriarchy um, has them on a leash. And oftentimes there's, there's a second jump, you know? Like I've got rid of the leash and then I've decided I really enjoy putting my big mascara on. And who are you to say that I haven't made that jump, mm. you know? So I definitely feel that in these movements there's this real big contradiction of uh, there's, there's a set of clear rules and systemic like forces that we then identify and go, okay, we don't want these. And then suddenly we apply a whole other set of rules and then we're like, these rules are not really rules, but you better comply with them because otherwise you're not good enough, you know? And this 
works for femme people, but also works for like trans people. There's also like a series of overcodings of what you need to do and have in order to be a real trans person, you know? Uh, just like there is to be a real man or a real woman, there's also like so quickly. But what, is it? what is it? What, what do people think about it when they say that, you know, you're not a real trans Well, person? I mean, it's a it depends on which people. Well, like, people are really good at m making like a set of categories based on their own experiences, you know? But the most simplistic would be, come on, but you just look like a woman, so mm. how can you be a man? Or, come on, but you haven't even made surgery, you know? So really, you don't really want to transition, so you're really not a trans person. Or, come on, you've just made bottom, or you're just in top surgery, but not the bottom, so really, you're not a real one. Or, I mean, really horrendous kind of judgment uh, scales. And it's also very intrusive towards a, a person's body, right? Because yes, it's like exactly. checking, like, like who what, would really, what's happening like, there? Do I really ask you, like, how big your balls are or which one is bigger? Like, I don't, you know? So it is, like, in terms of the hierarchies of power, it is very clear who feels entitled to ask these questions to who, or to judge or to require information about bodies. Like, normally it's the people that are mostly protected by hegemonic standards of mm. beauty, which takes to also positions of power, that feel entitled to then ask curious questions about other people's bodies with, with um, a kind of tone of, oh, I'm not doing anything really violent, I'm just curious and I just want to understand more and there's there's things enough things out there for people to read and, and understand I'm doing something wrong right like I, I don't know what's happening but it's I'm just trying to keep it really close to my mouth because it feels like here it doesn't work right yeah so here it works okay um, da, ba, ba. you said more stuff after that you no, said we were talking about the, the comments. And um, yeah, but y after you talked about makeup, then you went on to talking about, what was she talking about? About lesbians, about butch lesbians. Oh, about so butch lesbians, why don't they become men yeah, yeah, yeah. or so on? Uh-huh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's, 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 a, that's a huge one, and it causes a lot of, a lot of internal troubles within feminism and that's that's like going back to where we started that you were saying oh did it make you angry my invitation and i feel a lot of these um these things are really wasting our energy with each other um and making big uh, impossibilities of relationships that would make us stronger to advance in um, in work that is really necessary both on like legislation levels and also in terms of like internal networks of solidarity you know that sometimes don't even pass through policy but if amongst people there is so much judgment of your or my choice of how to embody this feminist subjectivity here then ah, that's a lot of waste of energy so when people look at butch lesbians and judge them for being too masculine for a woman or not enough masculine for a man or mm, to me it feels a little bit like is this really the biggest problem that we have right now for you to be spending so much energy on i mean look at the state of the world you know if I mean, if there's questions of gender in yourself, maybe dive in deep and see what the nuances of femininity and masculinity are that you want to work on, but like, let others live, you know? And but do you think it's also kind of a part of, of policing of women's bodies? Absolutely, that yeah. They have to comply with some kind of a standard, but it's also policing of men's bodies, right? Yeah, because it's not only women have lesbians more kind that of feel that, yeah. Uh, more possibilities to express themselves, but for men it's really strict, really. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I mean, and that takes us to, you know, the real big complexities with trans men or trans women, which get a blow from both sides, you know, and, and for trans women, it's 
like a cut that is really severe and, and, and subject to a lot of violence because it can be one of the places in which like hyper-hegemonic masculinity feels the most threatened, you know, when, when, when somebody that they would consider to be betraying masculinity decides mm. to transition mm. to, to, to being a woman. So yeah, all these places are of great power but also of great vulnerability. Even, I would say, even the two main categories that historically have been established as men and women, they are of great power and great vulnerability because the amount of pressures that men and women have felt historically to be able to comply with what has been set to be mm. the set things that are normal for people to mm. feel identified with is a lot. Like. Um, even if you don't decide to dissent those categories, you spend your whole life struggling to fit in in those categories um, with simple things like, you know, men can't cry. You know, mm. that's mm. historically been a fallacious uh, uh, weight. And uh, it's just a little more normalized. Oh, okay. You, you're going to have to deal with the fact that society doesn't let you be sensitive and so on. But it's been there all the time. Like people, people that are dissenting from the gender binary are struggling with a lot of, uh, a lot of issues around that and making it visible. And I think um, this is so important also because it throws a mirror back on all the issues that are not made visible in those categories that were more stable before. You know, by seeing all this um, playing and struggling around with mm -hmm. these subjectivities that are trying to break that, then you also look at, oh my God, but all of these things that I thought were really normal, but I've also struggled with my whole life. Even if I don't decide to transition or reject gender, or you just notice like, oh, the choice of this makeup, the choice of sitting like that, the way I stand in the metro, da -da -da -da, like all these things become more apparent, you know? Mm. And uh, Guardian recently did did a lot of interviews with uh, trans people, and what I found really that so there was an aspect that I never saw, had thought about, and and the aspect was about uh, so men who transi trans transitioned into women, they felt that they have lost a privilege, that uh, they have, that for example, they are now more afraid to walk the streets, as you said, and uh, for women who had transitioned into men they had a feeling that they somehow had gotten an upgrade, actually. Mm -hmm. And I thought that this is kind of a very emblematic thing that says something about our society, that you actually can transition and, uh, and uh, downgrade or upgrade as a human being. Mm -hmm. So in a way, it's very pr practical to be like you, so you can upgrade and downgrade <laughs> without, <laughs> without a surgery. Yeah, I mean, practical says a lot about privilege, no? So it's very privileged to be in this body, for sure, for sure. Because also to be a non-binary person and to be white and to, uh, you know, have physical abilities that are seen as normal, um, this is very like problematic idea of normal, but to also you know be middle class. To all these things allow me to have flexibility in my gender oh. in a way oh. that if these intersections weren't there, it would be a different experience. Also, so yeah, I think it's interesting where practical has a lot to do with other things. But w when what you were saying, um, and also you know I I, I come from like a, a, a training in theater. So that's also helped a lot to begin experiencing that really playfully in my body. Um, how really small tricks of how to stand, how to look, how to occupy space would make a big difference in, in power dynamics. Uh, but th those were times where I wasn't even really thinking about gender, you know? But th those things were internalized in, in my body. And then when gender became uh, more relevant uh, as a, as as a set of decisions uh, that were made for me and that I, I wanted to also have some say on, then those theater little tricks became useful. 
But what you were saying about um, like upgrading or downgrading in relation to transitioning for, for trans women or trans men, I think in, in a simple way that, that applies in, in, in that mode, like normally if you're, depends on your passing, you know, because if you're read as a trans woman with passing, like so passing would be that people don't necessarily read you as a trans woman, mm -hmm. but just as a woman. Mm -hmm. And so you're not necessarily uh, in so much uh, danger of backlash from um, cis heteronormativity because they can't tell that you're different from any other woman they know. So that's a very different mode of being in the world than trans women that are clearly mm -hmm. making a <coughs> in people's brains, you know, when they interact. The same for trans men and so on. So I would say it's not as simple as, as you always downgrade or upgrade around. And also I would say that because of those experiences, it's so important to have trans people in our movements because really the, the knowledge that they have based on experience of being read in one way or another and of circulating in different contexts where um, you know the set of expectations and obligations and, um, and frustrations have changed so much uh, can be really helpful for the rest of the people that only have one specific set of experiences. So for, there's, there's a lot of folks out there, um, like for example, doing work on uh, you know, new masculinities or undoing um, uh, like toxic masculinity. And a lot of this work is done in relationship with trans men that have a lot mm. to say about how toxic masculinity operates because they have experience on both sides of, of the spectrum. So yeah, to me, for example, when feminism thinks that it is able to exist without trans subjects or, you know, when TERFs um, really position themselves as like, what are these trans women doing here or these trans women? You're like, do you even begin to see how much knowledge you're rejecting from your movement? Or do you see how much less you will be able to think, do, feel in the world if you don't also um, include all the teachings and the wisdom that cross these other bodies? But oh, it could also be about uh, hierarchies. Uh, that you know, if you feel that you are kind of at the lowest level of the societal hierarchy as a, let's say, a gay or a, a lesbian, uh, then you know, these trans people come in and you realize, okay, I'm not at the bottom anymore. Mm -hmm. There's trans people. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's not very intentional, really. So there's this story about uh, the Moscow metro. So the way the uh, Moscow, Moscow public transport. So the way how it works is that uh, the, the bus driver is al always at the bottom of the social hierarchy. So when a person is running to catch the bus, the, the bus driver is always waiting until the last second. And you've almost made it. But then he closes the door and he, you know, goes away. So now at the bottom of the society is, is so that person who was well, left. That, that story would be just to show you that you're yes, more at the bottom? Yes, oh. yes, yes. I was at the bottom, but ha, look, wow. now I'm not anymore. Yeah, yeah. And that maybe it's something very, not really kind of intentional, yeah? But, but it could be something that, you know, makes gay or gays and lesbians to feel kind of better about themselves. Yeah, I mean, I think you're onto a hot, hot topic there. Uh, I think that may be playing a role there as much as in so many other relationships of power, you know, between like boss and employee or bus mm -hmm. driver and passenger. Um, I think like feminism, just as much as anything else in our lives requires us to really dig deep in what power means and how that can be felt without the need for hierarchy. Um, and so when I was speaking in the beginning about identity being such a necessary mode or lens through which we can understand a set of operations that are nuancing power uh, between different subjects, 
I also think that there's a limitation in what identities can do in terms of shifting those powers because the power shift normally works with one has more, mm -hmm. one has less. Mm -hmm. um, and there is a lot of need of changing that scale, tipping it over and really changing historical patterns and super important that those who had a lot of space take up less space. Uh, a lot of um, you know economic stability really check themselves out and um, work through historical governmental process of r retribution and all that but also I think there's other modes of engaging with power that must and need to go beyond that and also to include a wider metabolism to include nature to include wind to include um, earth to include other processes of feeling existentially validated and in power um, holding integrity and dignity as places of power within each person that um, uh, there's there's another author that I really really enjoy Angel Kyodo Williams who's um, a black queer Buddhist uh, who's written a book that I adore, uh, Radical Dharma, Talking Race, Love, and Liberation. And um, she has an exercise where she gets people to in embody this, this sense of integrity and, and dignity through you know, some physical movements. And then she really says, I invite you to feel this in your body because integrity, dignity, relationality uh, has not been given to you and so has not the possibility to be taken away from you. It is, it is you. It, it is an inherent force, a place of power that is constitutively part of being alive. So I think these two things need to operate at the same time. We need to see how to shift power dynamics and what can that passenger um, do in terms of not allowing that mm. bus driver to feel like, let me, hello, oh. yeah. let me shit on the next person that I, let's yeah. switch, maybe a miracle will happen. Okay. Oh. Yeah, so those places are really checking e each other out in, in, in realizing that uh, these, hierarchical structures have a strong hold on us and also I, th I personally think uh, this work needs to happen in parallel to not uh, being only relying on solutions happening in in this sphere also uh, working on other levels of being in relation to wider metabolisms so that we're not always seeking validation or a sense of belonging or a need to um, be um, be be seen or be given value because of what we do or what we represent you know if if that was not such a such a place of um, of insecurity for humans yeah. all the time because even in the highest place of power it, it feels like people are trying to get proof of their power all the time and in order to do that they have to keep uh, ismagando uh, keep uh, when you did that with a uh, cockroach like ah, uh, killing uh, yeah but like really squish squishing yes you know that that so much of the ways that we have learned to understand power have been about what size uh, of thing we can squish, you know. But you're you're talking about integrity and uh, but have uh, microphone. Why don't we just ah, change? Okay. Yes, swap okay. around because it's low battery. Yeah, is that. Um, so have you all struggled <laughs> with finding your integrity, like? Mm -hmm. What has been your path? Maybe you can tell. <laughs> it's like, it's like Sorry. this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I still do. I, I still do. Uh, um, and 
And also, I think as I get older, um, I am starting to sense into something that is also a place in which things are and they aren't at the same time, all the time. Like paradox is really alive. Before, I used to think more about like ambiguity, you know, and and more like this place that, you know, art doesn't need to like trap things into one meaning and it can leave it open and so on. And there's some of that that is still alive for me, but also like the more I get older and the more I really see that thing, one thing is and it isn't, like really at the same time. Um, and so, you know, gender is really important and it's so not important, you know. Um, and so the sense of integrity comes to me as a question in each moment of what sets of importances am I giving to things in each relationship? Because of course, if, if I get into political spheres and I, and I go like, oh, you know, let's forget about identity. We're all humans. Let's just love each other. It's like, Mah wrong you know wrong way of coming into this because you're really invisibilizing all the different violences that are crossing these bodies that are here um, and that's not going to get us anywhere but also if that's the only lens and that's just where we're working from and that's been my experience in a lot of political movements including trans feminism anti-racist movements um, we also end up really wounded and really tired and needing to really lie down and be uh, buried in earth for like a month just to feel that there's life where it doesn't seem to be and then resurface again and go to another protest. So uh, there's to me like a need to be able to be traveling in in between these spheres in every relationship, but the sense of integrity can be really <clears throat> like a struggling place when I get that balance wrong, you know? Mm. Sometimes I want to bring a little bit more of um, the need of connection in the body or of, of being able to have even physical intimacy between people um, or also openness to spirituality and, and those things. But in, in certain contexts, we're not really ready for those conversations and we need to get other things straight, you know, in contexts where there's a lot of sexism, where there's a lot of homophobia. I can't really be speaking of, yes, let's just touch each other with respect because there's a lot of other things there that need to be in place. And sometimes <laughs> I get that balance wrong. Like, I didn't think I did that yesterday. Um, so. Uh, and then that really questions my sense of what integrity, yesterday? you know. Um, I <laughs> Ouch. I don't know if there's people from yesterday's workshop here. No? Okay, they might hear the podcast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the, 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 um, the workshop of awareness, mm -hmm. uh, which really is facilitated by dear friends of mine. Um, and, you know, it was setting really important um, modes of understanding respect and care and um, ways in which we can show up if somebody is in a situation that is unsafe or dangerous in like a party context or, or so on. Um, and so we were doing some exercises that were really about defining distance between us and super, super important because really tendency is that people socialized as men feel very entitled to people socialized as women. And in mm. party context, uh, that really plays uh, a big part and can lead to really strong violences from micro violences to really big sexual aggressions. Um, so that works super important. And also, at the same time, I felt that my body didn't, didn't know how to really require those kinds of boundaries with people that I was intuitively wanting to be in trust with. 
so that I could see that those protocols that we were doing were really useful in terms of learning body language for other situations where trust wasn't there. But in this context, my body wanted to foster trust. And so I was being a little, a little too open physically for what we were trying to do, I felt. And also in the interventions that I made, I felt that maybe I was inviting uh, you know, some problematizing sort of saying like, yeah, but in Brazil we dance really close, you know, <laughs> like things like that, that I'm not sure were very helpful for the work that we were doing there. So I haven't been able to talk to my colleagues about that yet. So if you hear this, know that I apologize if I fucked it up. <laughs> <laughs> so, which is actually, uh, I, I wasn't there yesterday, but uh, it, it is really a struggle for me usually uh, the boundaries, like uh, so, so in Latvia, we really value our space. So um, it's especially awkward when you have other Latvians going, for example, to a seminar in Balkans where people hug and kiss, mm. and it's just so fucking confusing. So in some countries it's two kisses, in some countries it's three kisses. I never know from which uh, uh, cheek to start. So sometimes <laughs> we start in the middle. It's getting even more awkward. I'm all st like when I see that you know someone is coming, it's going to happen. I just okay, be cool, be cool, and I'm like, uh, okay. And instead of two, it's three. Okay, failed again. And uh, and then these Latvians and Estonians, they also hug and kiss each other, which is just totally weird. We would never normally do it, but when we are in this new setting, so we have to comply with with these standards, and um, and uh, I I find it uh, uh, kind of a constant struggle all the time, and mm -hmm. it happens because I know that it's socially acceptable, and and it would be really awkward to say uh, I'm sorry, I'm Latvian, like f 50 <laughs> centimeters around me, please don't touch me. Because I also want to appear friend friendly, right? <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, so it's uh, it's really how hard. And how does it how does it ac actually feel for your body? Like when you're in a country where people greet more physically? Yeah. Like, does your body feel that that experience is like not nice at all, yeah. or there's a discomfort? And yeah, for you, yeah. Somebody in the audience just shouted that, yes, it's, no, no, it's horrible. Uh, for most of them. <laughs> for most, is it? It's, it's kind of a grief situation, really. <laughs> yeah. So the body just goes in like panic mode of like, what are you doing in here? Um, <laughs> I mean, uh, there is this, uh, this quote about, uh, about uh, a man is not uh, a lonely island. In Latvia, a man is a lonely island. Is a lonely island. <laughs> Wow, that's that a strong thing uh, to you say. You can see that in bus seats or something yeah. where everybody separates and, 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 and so forth. Uh -huh. I'm sorry to... No, no, that's right. No, that's beautiful. I, yeah, I don't know if you want to repeat that for the podcast. I don't know if people hear it. But. No, well, I think... Well, I think it's it's gonna be okay. A friend of mine, actually, uh, who is uh, who is here, uh, sh she was wearing uh, um, uh, a shirt that says uh please you are, yeah you're standing too close and i said or may, may i now hug you and she said yeah you can hug me but uh and and then she said but my colleagues are still not like reading this <laughs> note at all and they are always standing too close to me so even you know it's not helping uh and uh, so yeah well anyways mm. not all latvians are are probably like this and uh well if you are in a kind of in a different country or th then it's kind of okay, I think. But if you are here and, for example, you, you don't know completely that person, or especially actually if, if it's men. For me, it's, uh, it's getting awkward when uh, men I don't know are hugging and kissing me. Mm -hmm. It's just, uh, it, it crosses my boundaries. Mm -hmm. But I would never say anything because I want to appear nice, mm -hmm. which is another burden. <laughs> And then I feel like a bad feminist because, of course, you know, I felt bad. I didn't say anything about it, and I still did it. And oh, yeah. So I feel like a failure uh, most mm. of the time in my life. <laughs> but uh, it's a story about me. <laughs> um, you so know, one thing to that. Um, I, th I, th I think f failing expectations is like a human reality. 
because we're also constructing new possibilities. When we're failing expectations, we're constructing new possibilities. And I think that's something that really goes well with being alive, right? With opening up yeah. new modes of being. Um, and because we share such different experiences, when two sets of expectations and uh, come into relation, the amount of possibility of failure is huge. But in that failure, the amount of possibility of something else happening is just as huge. So if we interpret that like <coughs> two systems coming together and jarring as system relationality failed, one way of looking at it, but two systems coming together, not doing what the expectations of these two systems were, but doing something else is, ooh, spark of new possibility in the system, which is, you know, maybe when we went, that's, that's what sparked, you know? Or one body heart, one body, and then this body started feeling like, ooh, I really learned about my boundary in this interaction. Because for me, for example, as somebody that's been socialized, like in Brazil with a lot of touching, I feel, it's very, very hard for me to greet people at a distance. Mm. And, and I really feel like I, I, I fail either the people or myself with this mode of, if we really keep a distance, I'm like, oh, that, that, that felt so not what my body would want and need. Mm. But at the same time, I think that's what I read from yours. But also a lot of the time I experience in other countries, I don't have enough experience with Latvian islands. But um, but in other countries where people touch a little, like in the UK, I lived mm -hmm. a long time there. And my experience there was that slowly I would discover people actually really enjoyed to have more touch. You know, they at first they would say, no, 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 I don't like. And then suddenly they would like see me on the other side of the street and just run to hug because <laughs> they knew that the Brazilian was available for a hug, you know. So it's like failure is always there, but possibility is also there, too. And also, of course, sometimes touching is also a way how to somehow exert dominance. Yes, for example, uh, sometimes uh, men at leadership positions are, you know, touching women like, yes, good job, good job, good job. And it's just like, oh, wow, I feel like a dog now. That's great. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I used to not notice it, but now I have started noticing these things. Because well, I also like touching people, yeah. Um, so, well, anyway. Yeah. So what I. So you are originally from Brazil, right? Um, kind of. Kind of. So uh, Brazil is a very odd country in a way that it's very conservative. It's a Catholic country, right? Uh, but then, it's more at the forefront with the LGBT rights than some countries in Europe. Although with Bolsonaro, it's like really not clear what's going to happen there. So can you, would you want to talk a bit about this? Because it's really interesting that a Catholic country can also have gay marriage. For me, it's this, this thing that, you know, I just don't really understand. Yeah, I don't understand either. <laughs> <but> <laughs> Um, but I can, yeah, I can tell you a little bit about my experiences and my feelings about Brazil are that it's a lot more complex than any understanding allows uh, for really simplifications. Um, and that's why I love it so much. There, there's such a mixture of different influences there, and there is such a complexity of embodiments and uh, ways that subjectivities have is historically constituted themselves. There's no clear um, sense of what a Brazilian should look like or act like. Um, and so there is space for a lot of conservatives and also for a lot of um, different modes of liberals, progressive, alternative, mm, dissenting communities. Um, and 
I think most of the spaces in which this other mode of being has been really alive have just not been visible mm -hmm. for a long time, historically, but they have been very, very present. And I have a feeling that this is similar to a lot of other countries. Um, and with, you know, the rise of like internet and uh, circulation of um, do documentation from realities that are n not normally the ones that circulate in, in wider mainstream TV, we have started to notice more of these lives that have are always been pulsing there, which has given straight, uh, great um, strength to uh, LGBTQIT com uh, communities in, in, in Brazil, but also great fear to conservative people mm. of going like, oh my God, there's really a lot of you here and <laughs> you're way too dangerous and has also increased the, the fear of uh, power changing mm. uh, because you can feel the power mm. that these people have. Um, and to those who have always had power in different ways and, you know, in religion and states have always uh, had quite a promiscuous relationship. Um, and those people then in their fear of losing the form of things by which their power was granted, then uh, go in the mode of what do we need to do for things not to change? And then conservative wave comes. And mm. I think it's in its very different complexity, but there's similarities to other waves of fascism, uh, like neo-fascism uh, around Europe coming very strongly, where uh, there is a great fear that things would be different from what people have thought they were, because they are things uh, real power, like I, I don't mean legislation or financial power, because that is still held by uh, like uh, cis heterocolonial hegemonic uh, subjects. But the real power, the one that we were talking before, the power that cannot be taken away from you, mm. that's never been there. And I think that's been noticed. And because of that fear of like, whoa, that power is also really powerful and we don't want you to have all that power. So let's take all the steps that we can to grant that this other power in legislation and economy is as much on this side of the of the playing field mm. as possible because we're scared like people are really scared of uh, uh, having their stability threatened and their stability is hanging on such thin uh, strings you know that have to do with you know being um, exerting places of supremacy in all the, the, the lines of the identity intersections that we were talking about, you know, like it's white people have to really assert their power over all the rest um, of people of color. Uh, men have to assert their power on all the rest of the gender spectrum um, and, and so on and so forth, you know. And I think it's a, it's a very interesting aspect and I've actually never thought about it, the, the visibility that it's kind of something that we are really eager to have, the visibility of our voices and our faces and, and that we are different and that we are normal as well as sometimes not normal and just to, to, to show the diversity that we are a part of a society, right, uh, LGBTQIA community, but then that sometimes this visibility can actually turn against you that sometimes it's actually better not, not to be that visible. And, and I think that, um, well, to be honest, what, what I haven't solved in my mind is that when, when you sometimes speak about, in, in here in Latvia, when you speak about the uh, partnership law, uh, then the, the argument is, yes, well, what's going to happen next? Marriage. And I have a feeling that we should say, no, no, we are not interested in marriage, although we are really interested in marriage. We are really interested in taking that as well. And then uh, someone might say, and, and after marriage, what, what happens? Well, usually they say goats happen. But uh, goats. yes, yes, what's going to happen when, you know, it's a classic uh, political, actually, uh, narrative uh, here. So at first, people start uh, marrying people of their own gender, and then they start marrying goats. 
Wow. Yes. Okay. So, uh, but it might not happen with goats, but it might happen with three people, and you know, having to, you know, living in polyamorous relationships mm -hmm. where you kind of want also the kind of legal settlement there, and you want to have uh, three parents for a child, like in Canada, and uh, and sometimes I'm thinking that maybe we shouldn't say like what's the end game here <laughs> that it's probably like six people living together and you know raising maybe 10 kids i don't know and uh, and a goat clearly um <laughs> uh, and we should just say no no we just want you know the it's it's for for our apartments that we are own together we just need the partnership well we don't need anything else because mm -hmm. uh, that visibility might turn against us mm. so I warned you that uh, you will need to tell two things. One is how you have recently fucked up, and I wanted to ask if you already told the story. I told one of them. Yeah, yeah. That was, that was <laughs> and, uh, a recent yeah. fuck up. And uh, I'm sure so, I fucked up is there anything really enough. awesome that you wanted to would want to tell us <laughs> that you've done that you are really proud of? Uh, that's like the same question. Ah, uh, <laughs> it was the same? <laughs> well, kind of like, uh, you know, to, uh, to ask me something really awesome, probably the only thing I could do is fuck this question up. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I really don't know how to answer to that. Well, okay, I'm gonna tell it from a really personal place. Um, I think f in, in my recent life, it's been really awesome to overcome a huge depression cycle. Uh, uh, a place in which I was stuck for many years on a loop, and then in the last round was like a strong uh, hold on me for a couple of years. Um, and there were a lot of things that contributed for that to be possible to turn over. Uh, but it g gave me great sense of strength to uh, see that through the things that I was doing, and it includes things like this, be here talking to you all about things that matter for me, that it was possible to feel that although the world is really quite fucked up in so many ways, and when we pay attention to those things, they uh, are really huge and they can really overcome our possibility to open our eyes and to get out of bed and to believe in any new relationship or um, even in our sense of being able to hold previous relationships with anything, with people or with, you know, environment and all that. But also when we start paying attention to the amazing things that are happening and to the incredible people that are resisting and creating all sorts of forms of uh, regeneration, uh, resilience, um, other forms of kinship and family constituencies, um, other modes of being with each other, with being with the environment. When you start paying attention to those things, they are also really there and have always been. And and that um, is like a, a, another one of those dualities that for me are completely present, but that I feel have been amazing to be able to sense with the same strength. So like if I if I can recall a place of greatness in myself is having been able for a set of different influences in both internal work and also like um, different help from a lot of things externally to turn up that volume of the radio of the amazing things that are happening at least as loud as the shit um, and so you know to, to, to have those two notches available to me yeah. because that one was broken for a while okay thank you thank you for sharing this and I think we need to finish um, thank you for coming all and uh, we are going to continue with the recordings tomorrow at one o'clock and then also we're going to have women stand up here at three tomorrow and um, oh can I say uh, something about yeah, the workshop yes um, well thank workshop. you very much but also I wanted to say that at 1 30 I'm giving a workshop here till 4 30 
and there's a list of the names there. So if you'd like to participate, it would be amazing to have you and just put your name on the list. And thank you very much for having me. It was a pleasure. Okay. Applause. Thank you.